You are listening to the most comprehensive source for news and views about today's unions. This is LaborUnionNews.com's Labor Relations Radio and your host, Peter List. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Hey, welcome back to Labor Relations Radio. So if you're a regular listener of Labor Relations Radio, you probably have a pretty good understanding that I like to talk to people and I like to pick their brains. And I've been having a lot of conversations over this past year or so about what's happening in the workplace. And one of the people that I've known for a very, very long time is Phil Wilson, who's the president and general counsel of Labor Relations Institute. And we have talked at conferences and sometimes we'll just call and chat and see what's going on. We're competitors in a way uh, because we're both in the same line of work, but I kind of view us as different types of competitors. In any case, um, I've been having a lot of conversations and we had scheduled this conversation a while back um, and we didn't really have a set agenda. So when we first started and talking to each other before I hit the record button, I said, what do you want to talk about? And so we didn't really have much to, you know, new news, didn't have an agenda set. So we just shared some ideas of what's happening around the country. And in any case, without further ado, here's Phil Wilson. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. Well, Phil Wilson, welcome to Labor Relations Radio. It is good to talk to you again. It's great to be back, Peter. So... Um, we're having a conversation, which we can get into um, prior to hitting the record button. And it, we started going a little bit deep, but it was a fascinating conversation that I want to continue. But before we do that, how are things going in general? Life is good. We're, um, yeah, we're busy. I'm sure you're busy as well. Uh, and there's, uh, you know, we have the most pro-union president and certainly pro-union general counsel. And so there's lots of exciting things as, you know, as you're covering uh, on a, on a regular basis. Is this thing daily yet? Like you're, you, I mean, there, there's something to talk about every single day now. There is. And I, there's not enough hours in the day. I post the news or we post the news daily, um, send out the digest daily. And depending on my travel schedule, I, I can do usually a podcast or two a week. This week happens to be three only because I recorded on, Friday and posted on Monday, but, um, yeah, it's, there's just not enough hours in the day. It's, there's a news story that is newsworthy and comment worthy every single day. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's unlike any time in my career and, uh, you know, and I, I, I talked to my dad, it's unlike any time in his career and he's been doing this, you know, a long time. So, yeah. Uh, well, I, I use the term, probably overly use it. It's fascinating because I'm, I'm at the point in my life where I can kind of sit back and just watch from afar and mm -hmm. just comment about it. And it's, I, you know, I was using the expression not too long ago, um, back when EFCA was a, a thing back mm -hmm. in the mid 2000s, I was like, you know, chicken little, the sky's falling, the sky's falling. It didn't happen. Proact is around now. And now I'm like, I don't really care. It sounds really bad, um, but it's like, I, you know, there's part of me that just says, 
if they want to tear everything down and you know try to remake society in some european socialist vision i'm old it doesn't really matter at this point <laughs> it matters to my kids but you know yeah yeah i uh i don't think i'm quite where you are <laughs> no I've, I've got a few years on you i think but i uh but i i mean i i definitely i mean look like this is a little bit like what we were talking about before we hit record, but you know, uh, there, there's a lot to, I mean, I think about my, my daughter, she's, she's 19. Well, she's 19 on Monday. Um, she's, uh, yeah, like, like kids today that are now she, she's fortunate and she's going to college and she's, you know, we're, you know, so, so we're, you know, she's definitely got kind of a different perspective than maybe like the average, you know, working Joe or Jane, um, these days, but, um, there's still like the, you know, if you look around at the economy and you look around at just sort of like, like what kids have experienced and lived through, um, you know, like her, you know, her, her, her cohort was around for, you know, essentially a depression. Um, she got to experience, you know, three years of high school that was, uh, totally impacted by the, you know, a global pandemic. Um, she was, she's now, you know, now you're in like this massive inflation um, bubble that's about to turn into another massive recession. Um, that, like if that's your experience of kind of our economic system, why, like, why wouldn't you burn down the town? Right. Um, so, so historically speaking though, um, as I always try to like put it in a historical perspective. So our grandparents grew up in the great depression, went mm -hmm. straight into world war two. Um, they oh, yeah, had, by the way, we might be, yeah. Well, we can, yeah. We have another world war two. Well, so I'll just go down onto the, you onto and the, I, and although I've got some some years on you, you and I grew up during Vietnam, or at least we were kids during Vietnam. We used mm -hmm. to have to crawl under desks for, you know, atomic bomb yeah. drills. And yeah. then we had the recession of and stagflation of 79 through about 83. So yeah. every generation has its, you know, the end times moment. This, I've been mm -hmm. big on this for a while. Um, and, I, you know, it's... Seems as though today, though they're just handling it differently. Yeah, it's like woe is no, me. Are. They are. I mean, you and I have talked about that the book Pendulum, but you know, yeah. we are we're literally at the ape. You know that. So that book, I highly recommend it. I've been talking about it for like over a decade, and I mean, every day I'm just like, yep, here we are at the apex of we, and uh, and we are like 2023 is like the apex of we, which is. Witch hunts is the headline of that era, and it's all about like mob rule, and uh, and and like the last time we were here is essentially in the the run up to World War II, uh, and you kind of look around the world and you know kind of I, I don't know what it felt like back then, but but it, it's probably not unlike you know sort of some of the stuff that we're experiencing uh, right now. I hope I'm wrong, and I hope cooler heads you know prevail certainly on the. Yeah, over in, oh, oh, you know, 
well, the people that have you know fingers on nuclear warheads, hopefully they're th- those heads stay cool. But um, but going back to like work life, yeah, that's still kind of, and I don't disagree with you. Like everyone has had like their their experiences. I I, I will say having kind of lived through what you were talking about this, this little like last, you know, 10 to 15 years just feels, you know, you know, like it's just like one punch in the face after another. Right. Um, yeah. And, that's true. and, and, you know, so that's going to have an impact, right. That's, that's got, that's had an impact on employers and it's definitely got had an impact on, on working people. And, um, uh, and, and so it's, it's totally understandable that people are like, well, Hey, look, the way we've been doing it is wrong. Like we, you know, we need to try something different. Um, now, you know, I definitely, you know, social, we've already tried socialism and that is definitely not a solution, but I think our version of capitalism could, could use some tweaking, like, um, so, so I think we're, you know, that, I think that's kind of, that's where we're at. And we're in this, you know, we're kind of in this epic period where, you know, democracy and free market capitalism, oh, I shouldn't say free market. We're like far from a free market, but anyway, but like, uh, yeah, like they're, we are kind of like on, on the ascent, but now we're kind of in retreat. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's concerning. Um, you know, people are going to, you know, probably look at this period of time, like the, you know, the choices that leaders are making now are going to have an impact for, you know, for decades. And ho- hopefully, hopefully we don't end up in sort of that, you know, you know, World War II type environment, but whether we do or we don't, um, we still have this kind of what's, what's the economy going to be like? Uh, and that's true all over the world. And, uh, and we're certainly facing it. Yeah, we're certainly facing it here. And then I think just for our day jobs, it's like, is it, are unions the answer to that problem that's facing working people and, and business owners at the same time? So this kind of gets me to um, what we're starting to talk about before I hit the record button. But I, I've had three conversations over the last, six to eight months that um, I'm going to lay out for you. Not, it doesn't take long, but in where we are today, I think for business leaders, they kind of need to pay attention to this. So mm-hmm. probably in March or April, I think it was March, I had this conversation with a mutual friend of ours. And I said, what do you think's going on? Because all, obviously all the Starbucks activity was going on and, mm-hmm. and you know, this is the age of unions and Gen U and all that stuff. And he said, well, it's a little bit more complicated than this, but think of it like Maslow's hierarchy hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. He said, at the bottom level, which are the physiological needs, during the pandemic, the government stepped in, and I'm I'm summarizing his statement, so I'm not trying not to misquote him, but it's probably not exactly. He said, the government stepped in. They provided um, money, you know, the... the, uh, rescue plans and all that sort of stuff. There's eviction moratoriums. And so food, shelter, you know, that was pretty much taken care of. The next level up though, which is the sense of safety and security, that was completely shattered. 
and mm-hmm. people didn't know if they were going to live or die. Um, you know, their relatives were dying and friends and all that sort of stuff. And then the next level up, which is the sense of belonging, if, you're, if your sense of belonging was the workplace, well, you weren't allowed to go to work. If your sense of belonging was the, um, you know, your family and you weren't allowed to see them at the holidays, so that was shattered. So and he kind of summarized, unions are sort of stepping into that. Mm-hmm. And so that was one conversation. I'm going to kind of put that aside for a second. Um, I talk with my hands and now you can see them. But anyway, so over the summer, I was uh, I was talking to a manager of um, a hospital manager and she's mm-hmm. got her master's and she was in Manhattan during the time of the, the height of the pandemic. And mm-hmm. I said, what do you think's going on? And she said, well, to us being in healthcare, the pandemic was our World War II. She said, for the first couple months, everything was chaos. Uh, we didn't have enough PPE and people were dying. They're walking into the ED and dying, you know, literally as they're walking in, coding, et cetera. And then she said, then we got used to the death. And mm-hmm. so that was like kind of her take. And she said, and she kind of summarized it, you know, people are still traumatized and they're taking it out on the system. And I, and I mm-hmm. think she meant the health system, the healthcare system in the U.S., or just health, uh, or just the system. Either itself. either way, yeah. totally true. Right. So, kind of move that one aside. So, towards the end of summer, I had another conversation with a, a CHRO from a, a large healthcare organization, and I said I I relayed to him the whole Maslow's hierarchy, and he said as I was walking through physiological needs and and the comments around that and then safety needs. And then I started moving on to sense of belonging. He said, Peter, we're not even out of the sense of safety and security. He goes, think about it. We sent people to, and by we, it's, you know, society sent people to their deaths. He goes, I'm not just talking about healthcare, pizza, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, chicken plants and grocery stores, you know, frontline workers for those of us that could sit behind our desks at home and work on Zoom calls, you know, we're safe. But people were dying, and we sent them there. He goes, we're never going back to 2019. And so that mm-hmm. that kind of, and again, if you think about, like, the Amazon labor union, how did that start? Well, Chris Smalls, who is a supervisor or something at Amazon, goes out and does mm-hmm. a protest over the safety that was taking place. They fire him, long story short. Anyway, um, so he goes out and starts a union, wins his first election. He lost one yesterday, obviously, but, you know, yeah. so again, safety, Starbucks workers, you know, you read into the fine print in the articles, why are they, why are they so upset? A lot of it has to do with staffing and them having to work, quote, unsafe, whether it is or not, perceptions are reality, right? Mm-hmm. Chipotle workers up in Maine, when they went out on strike, they went out on strike because they're short staffed and it, they felt unsafe according to what they said. So yeah. I, I put that out there, and this kind of goes back to your book, Left of Boom. If we're talking about employer culture and that sense of belonging and all the companies want their employees to feel that, you know, they love the company and sense of culture, et cetera, we're not out of that sense of safety. They need to address that first before they go to that higher level. That's my... That's my long story trying to shorten that, but I think we're at this weird 
point where a lot of companies are just not getting it. Yeah. Uh, so a couple comments. Like I, I, I love this conversation. I think it's really important. Um, the, the idea of kind of marrying, I mean, I've talked, I've, I've talked for years about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs as it relates to employment. Um, and I don't disagree with you at all that like, we're still, we have a lot of work to do around the safety needs. Um, but at the same time, Maslow wasn't like, I mean, th- there there is sort of like a stepping stone component to Maslow, but it's not like, it's not like when you don't feel safe, you have no need for belonging. Right. right. Like you, sure. like we, we have, we have all of these needs all the time. It's just that when one is missing, you're going to end up concentrating most of your energy and effort and resources to solving that one. And you're not going to spend a whole lot of time thinking about self-actualization. Right. So, um, when it, when it comes to a, you know, to an employer, um, you still want to be spending time on all of them if you can. I'm sorry if you keep hearing dings. I'm try, I, was, I was trying to turn off my notifications. and I, I'm, I, That's I'm all right. Fan. So, um, but, but I think that the, uh, you know, like, I th- so I think that's what, you know, what's important from an employer standpoint. The other way that I talk about this is there are, there's these core motivators. So if you relate it to, you know, organizing activity, um, there's these, there's these four core motivators. They relate somewhat to Maslow's work. Um, but the, it, there, there's these, these needs that we have psychological needs. So there's need for power, there's need for affiliation and there's need for recognition and achievement. I said for there's these three core needs, right. um, that, if they're not met at work, then you, uh, and, and power is like also kind of need for control, like need, need to feel like you're in control. So going back to sort of this, the safety issue, like I am being forced to work in an, in an environment where I don't feel safe. Like the, I don't feel like I have control. Um, sure. or I'm being asked to work shifts that, you know, are, you know, I can't see my family, um, or because I have to work in this, like in a healthcare environment, like I can't be around my family because I'm around COVID all day. Um, you know, there's a lot of that going on. Those are, uh, those are kind of need for power control issues. There are also these core issues under Maslow. Um, and then need for affiliation sort of goes to the kind of love and belonging, but it's like, you know, is this my tribe? Do I feel like, do I, am I proud to work here? I feel like I am, um, you know, am I on a winning team? Kind of, and then and then that third area is achievement, um, which sort of gets you into sort of esteem, and maybe even a little self actualization. Where it's like, am I am I going places? Am I getting somewhere in my life? And then what we teach is that if those needs aren't being met at work, then you'll do one of two things: you'll exit, so you'll just you'll quit and go work somewhere else, um, or you'll voice, so you'll complain about it, and you start off complaining internally but eventually your complaints turn outside um, and that might be to a union organizer, for example. Um, and so employers have to think about like both Maslow, how do I make my team feel safe? Um, they also then need to think about these, these needs. How do I make my team feel like they have control, that they have, that they have influence over their day-to-day work life, um, that they feel like they are making progress in their life. 
that they feel like they are, uh, that they can be their full selves here at work. Like those all um, relate to each other. And I think during the pandemic, you know, look, employers were, were like a mess too, right? It's not like, I mean, like everyone's complaining about staffing problems. It's not like employers are sitting around going like, oh, I don't want to hire anyone. Like they're desperately trying to hire people. And, um, you know, lots and lots and lots of people left the job market completely um, because they were either scared or they don't feel like it's safe for them to work or, uh, or, or they just decided like, I'm going to try a different way to live my life. Um, and work is not going to be central to that. And there's lots, so there's, there's, uh, but, but most people don't have like that option. And so there's lots and lots of people that are going to work and don't feel safe and don't feel taken care of. And the employer is not out of meanness, but just out of like desperation, like desperately just trying to like, just get the work done. Um, and it led to where we are now, which is, you know, people don't feel like employers care. Um, and, you know, and, and, the, and the weird thing is, I mean, look, I'm a, I'm a business owner and you are too. Um, and, and, and even though, even though like what you said, like in our businesses, uh, you know, like we were able to work from home at the, at, at my office, but our consulting team wasn't able to work from home. They were in plants, you know, and I was up at night lots thinking about the safety of the consulting team, even the safety of the team here. Um, and there were like no good answers. Right. right. Um, like, so I, I think that is, um, so part of the problem and a lot of, and I'm, going to harken back to my union days and plant worker days. Mm -hmm. um, there is a common belief among employees that management has answers because, and you know, they get paid more, they're in their ivory yeah. towers, they should know what they're mm -hmm. doing and et cetera. And it wasn't until after I left the union movement and started working with companies that I realized, well, they really don't have the answers. Yeah. You know, and so when you, throw a, a pandemic into it and you've got the CDC and whoever else changing the rules day by day, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're scrambling as well. So then that goes to, are they communicating enough? Right. If. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yes, that for sure. I mean, I've, I've, I've recommended to clients for years that it's valuable to, I mean, you know, there's obviously certain things in leadership team meetings that you wouldn't necessarily want to have, like, you know, that, that are private or dealing with disciplinary actions or things like that. But, like, there is a ton of value in having frontline workers, like, involved in the, the leadership meetings of a business to just see, like, what that work is like, what kind of decisions have to be made, what are the, right. the different challenges because because you're right like there there's it, it, it's a two-way street like managers feel like you know employees are you know they don't know what i know and they don't know all the things that i'm dealing with and they don't you know they don't care um and employees feel the same way towards towards management i mean at the end of the day it's just like we we need to do a better job of communicating with each other uh and 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 we need to we need to spend some time like walking in each other's shoes. Right. Um, 
the, the, like the you know when you when you hear a lot of the complaints in union campaigns right now and a lot of the, a lot of the things that um just the people that don't have experience with unions think a union is going to do for them uh it really sort of highlights this just total lack of understanding really at the end of the day like understanding what unions can do and and how they work and and you know what they can't do um, a lack of understanding about like the things that a company can actually like influence and have control over. Um, and, and, and then a lot of just sort of like, I'm, I'm working on, I'm working on my next book, which is about the hero assumption. Um, but we just make the villain assumption about like, uh, like employers make it about their employees that they're, they're they're not here to do a great job and they and they and they don't care about their work and um and and employees make the exact same assumptions about their employer that the employer is out to get me and the employer doesn't care about me and man if you're in an environment where everyone is just assuming that everyone else is like a villain and out to get them uh there is no way that that is ever going to be a, a productive positive work environment whether there is a union there or not, it's gonna, it makes no difference. That is going to be a hellish place to work. Well, it, yeah, and it, I'm kind of smiling right now because in the old days, and it, I used to marvel at this, having come from the union side, when on the factory floor, you just assume management's out to screw the little guy, mm -hmm. right? And that's, of course, that's portrayed in the press and you sure. know, the AFL-CIO and everybody else. And then unions when you have, get, a, have a vested interest in like, in, in oh, of course. making that right. Like that's, yeah, that's why you would pay them money. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If management employees get along, there's no reason for a union. Right. Um, <laughs> so, but then, you know, when you come to the other side and you're working with managers and you know, they're in the, obviously it's in usually in the throes mm -hmm. of a union campaign. And it's like this, it's just a natural defensiveness or paranoia that the other side is out to get you. Mm -hmm. And it's, 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 I've found it humorous yet weird when I've been on both sides of it and just, you know, wow. So let me tell you how this side thinks, because it's not necessarily wrong, but it's myopic and it's that mm -hmm. one side. And then on the flip side, you know, with management, let me tell you how they think, because it's not necessarily wrong, maybe myopic, but. Yeah. Well, you know, when, when I go in and talk to a company that's like in the same boat, right. And I'm, and I'm talking about, okay, we have to, you know, we have to rebuild trust. We need to, uh, you know, we, we need to really work hard on making sure that we're listening and that we're, uh, you know, that we're, that we're taking care of our employees. Like this is, this is a, this is a terrible time in the life of a company. Um, it's super stressful, but it's stressful for everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, and they look at me like I have, you know, two heads cause it, you know, they're, they're uh, you know, again, it's sort of like normal, but it's, you know, it's a war and everyone is like, you know, going to fight to the end. And it's like, no, this is not a war. Like these, these are, this is your team. You're, you right. know, they have, they have probably, you know, for a lot of good reasons decided, uh, you know, uh, you know, like I always say, no one wakes up in the morning going like the only thing missing from my life is I'm not like a teamster. You know, they are, uh, they're trying to solve a problem and they've just picked a crappy solution. Uh, but you better wrap your head around 
there was a problem that was bad enough that they tried a lot of different things and didn't get it fixed. And now they've landed on this as their solution. You know, the employer has to really look in the mirror and figure out, you know, okay, what do I do to repair this thing that I, that I didn't fix? Because that is, that's that like, that's going to be your problem. Whether they decide to have a union or not, you're still going to have that, that problem. Yeah. So that, of course, now I'm thinking about the Gen Z. Um, they, as you mentioned, they don't really know what they're doing or they know what they're doing, but they're um, maybe picking the wrong solution. Mm-hmm. The question is, have they been so indoctrinated that it's a waste of time until until they learn the hard way? Um, well, it's like any buddy without a lot of experience, right? So, uh, and look, you know, this is kind of where we started, right? But like Mm -hmm. their experience has been awful, right? So it's not weird that they are kind of like wanting to watch the town burn right now. So, um, you know, and, 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 and to some extent, so unions do a couple of things, right? Unions, unions feel like a good vehicle to sort of lodge that just, complaint about capitalism um and and the employer is a you know is a, is a convenient point of attack because you're already right there and like they're they're a business and they're they make money and so like that like this is a this is a convenient place to like lodge my my protest um they you, you, i mean you're also dealing with um now the, the labor market's probably going to change you know n- next year it's already changing um, but you're in this labor market right now where there is like zero cost to doing this. Like if you don't like right. it, you'll there's just no like go down the street and get a job somewhere right. else. And, and like lots, I mean, that's happening. I mean, there's, there's lots of the folks that voted in a union at Starbucks that are gone. Right. So, um, By so choice. That, right. Yeah. Like, yeah, not, yeah. Not fired, gone, like quit, gone and right. went to work someplace else. Right. And, and maybe even trying to organize that place. But those like that is that is an unusual like moment in time. Um, and I and I do think that, you know, folks are going to start getting more and more experience with this. So like a lot of people watching what's going on at Starbucks. People are watching what's going on at Amazon. You know, they're going to go into bargaining and they're going to negotiate. And that process takes a long time. Um, companies are, you know, companies are moving like, you know, non-represented companies and non-represented parts of companies. And I know there's like legal fight over this, but, but they're moving, like the market is changing, uh, daily and, and everyone except for the ones that decided to unionize are, are moving. Like they're not moving away. Like they're, you know, wages are going up, benefits are changing, um, policies are changing, Workplaces are rapidly, you know, dealing with this new environment, all of them except for the unionized ones, because the unionized ones, especially one that's got a brand new union, they are like sitting still waiting to go, many of them waiting still to like go get even to a bargaining table, much less go through the whole, you know, just painstaking process of trying to bargain a contract. Yeah, they're stuck in nobody understands. Yeah, nobody understands. And, and I have a feeling that, um, Again, I have personal experience with the the Gen Z 
that until recently was living under my, my roof. Uh, but they don't have the attention span. You know, they like they're they're um, you know they are activists, like no question. Um, I think the world's going to be a much better place. Honestly, like, I, I feel like this is probably the, these kids are essentially like the the greatest generation when they were children. Like they like they have. Uh, ho- I hope you know. I, I hope and pray that they're not going to experience a world war. But they have certainly experienced like a lot of bad stuff as kids. Um, and and I'm I'm in a way like excited to see like what they do with the with the world when they are in control. But this whole like love affair with socialism and uh, and unions is silly. Like they're and and I think I think but they are smart. They're uh, uh, it's not going to take them long to figure out like wow that like no wonder nobody's in a union. Right. Um, I think they're going to, I think they'll quickly figure that out. So this is kind of like a flash in the pan. Um, uh, two, two to five years, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. Like, I, I mean, uh, and I don't even think if you change the law, like let's, let's just assume, you know, let's just assume that they change labor law to make it like really easy to get, labor contracts like we're so so like let's just say that the pro act passes and like you impose labor agreements on companies um you know within let's say 90 days after a union's voted in so that they they so that bargaining doesn't take as long you still have this whole problem of like what are the terms and conditions going to be imposed if those terms and conditions are being imposed in a way that's like draconian to the company then just a lot you know all these companies are going to go out of business um, if, if the terms I've been are saying something that since the employee free choice act, yeah, it's a job killer. That's a big problem with it. Oh, right. Which that doesn't help working people at all. Right. Right. Um, uh, and, and like, and eventually that becomes like an argument, not to unionize. you know, like you, like you, you know, I mean, one of the big problems unions have right now is that all of the, all of those huge unionized companies that went on a business in the seventies and eighties, um, you know, everyone still, you know, sees all these cities that basically like went away because all of their unionized industry like went away. Um, right. So there's uh, like, so it, anyway, I, d- I think I would say flash in the pan. Um, I mean, like Star- Starbucks is such a unique, I mean, it is like, it's a unicorn, you know, it, it, they, 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 they basically like, if you, if you were going to like, set up a company to be easy to organize, you would do exactly what Starbucks did, right? You would hire a super progressive workforce. You would hire like really highly educated people that are essentially like way overqualified for what it is that you're asking them to do. Um, you know, like, and, and by the way, I mean, Starbucks also during the pandemic and, and totally understandably, but like they completely changed their business model. They, right. they, they really made those jobs suck. Um, I think I think they've I think they've like figured that out and have, have like moved way like way back from that, but um, but that but that happened so that was sort of like a that like lit the fuse. Um, there's this whole safety thing that we were talking about at the beginning that like the the those those jobs were right at the you know I mean you have even even when it was just drive through right yeah you know, like who are more COVID people 
than a Starbucks barista. Um, you know, not many. Um, right. So, uh, so, so that like that, that's, that was sort of what triggered it all. Um, and, but that was, you know, there's not many workforces like that. There's not many, um, you know, you know, yeah. And, and, and Starbucks wore its progressiveness on its sleeve too. So it, it, right now the, all the PR that they're experiencing is really just sort of this whole, like, well, you're, you know, you say this is what you're like, but you're, you're not doing this one thing that, you know, all progressives agree is like a great thing to do. That's not a fair criticism, but like that, I mean, it's definitely there, you know, that, that they're dealing it's with part that. of their headache. Sure. Yeah. Um, but there's just not, you know, even that, uh, even, even that was a moment, you know, like Starbucks itself, you know, they're, they're getting, you know, they were at like 70 petitions a month. Now it's down to like less than 10. I don't don't know how many there've been in October, but like, like maybe four or five, like it's so, so even even that moment has passed. Now I'm I'm not saying like they could never get more petitions filed or whatever, but it just it really seems like that even was a flash. Um, so that that's kind of my that's my take. I re- I really do believe that that the younger generation, when they get experience of what a union is actually like, they're not going to like it. So I, I I feel like they'll pretty quickly move on, um, and hopefully move into like organization design and, um, you know, in fixing capitalism, um, you know, like there, like there, like there are a lot of things that you could work on in our, our country that a union is not the solution to, but they need to be solved. Healthcare is a total train wreck. Uh, um, you know, the, like the, you know, the way companies don't pay taxes, they, I mean, they're like, there, there are like a lot of things that, that can be worked on that can be better. Um, that, that I think this is a generation that's going to make actually move the needle on that stuff. Um, you know, there's been attempts for a long time to try to, you know, fix a lot of this stuff, but not like there's, you know, we just don't, we never get there. I think this, I think this is a generation that will. Well, it's, you know, you've got your professional activists out there, um, both union activists to other groups that, you know, their whole purpose is to foment dissent. Mm -hmm. And where they go, you know, you just saw like the AFL-CIO this week, I think it was this week, came out and said that they're going to spend $10 million a year, you know, raising dues, $10 million a year on union organizing which is the first time in a long time they've actually come out and done that. But my reaction to that story was like, are you kidding me? 10 million, I think it's $11 million, $11 million is what you're going to put into organizing in like right. the most, um, the, like the, like the, the, the most target rich organizing environment that has literally ever happened. You're going to spend $11 million. It's, it's comical. Um, well, going back to your point earlier, by the time they collect the money and have it built up and figure out how to spend it, we're going to be in a recession and people mm-hmm. are going to be losing their jobs, whether it's high unemployment, I don't know yet, but they're going to be losing jobs. And then that pushes them back down to the safety and security thing, but they're not going to be willing to risk it as much 
mm-hmm. if the job market is is much looser. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times people are surprised by that, but you know this, you know, in uh, when, when the job market's hot, that's when organizing activity increases. And, and when, um, when the job market is cold, you, there's less of it. And it's that, and that's the reason there's just, you don't want to, um, I mean, unions are their own worst enemy on this, right? They're, they're telling everyone, whatever you do, don't let the company know that you're doing this because you're all going to get fired. And, uh, um, so, so like they, they really ratchet up the fear of, uh, of losing your job. Well, in today's market that no one's really afraid of that. Um, but I think if you fast forward a year from now, that's going to be a much bigger, you know, a much bigger concern. And, and frankly, people just kind of like, they don't want the distraction of it. They just want to do their job. They want to make sure that they're taking care of customers. Like they, they want their company to stay in business. Um, so it's just a, it's a different, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a different environment. Um, so I, I would expect. Well, they, can't, they can't risk striking because they have, you know, mouths to feed and replacement yeah. workers are more plentiful during economic downturns. Right. Now, I, I think it's a fair question. I mean, like, you know, to be on both on the inflation front and on the labor market front, the, the country needs like to cool off. So, yeah. so, um, I mean, there is, you know, if you're looking at the glass half full here, it's like you could have a, a recession that actually just levels out the employment market, but doesn't create a bunch of unemployment. Right. So, cause we, there, there are like millions of, of open jobs right now that if you're in a recessionary environment, maybe you don't need to fill all those open jobs, but the people that have a job keep their job. Um, that would actually be a positive, uh, you know, I mean, and, and there's, there's economists that are saying that that's like, that's kind of a more likely path that we're going to be on this recession. So it'll be a lot different than like 78. Um, the, and then inflation too needs to come down. Like the, you know, the problem with this hot job market is even if you get, you know, a 10% raise, it's actually, you're just like treading water. Right. So, so you really need inflation to come down, uh, you know, and then just, and then if you could just kind of keep what you got during the, this, during this last, um, couple of years, then you're going to, you should be net, you know, better off. Well, you know, part of the thing, which is different than say 78 is, um, we've had such a big demographic shift and it's going to be, going now for probably another five to 10 years where the baby boomers are retiring Mm -hmm. and a lot of them retired faster than expected due to the pandemic, which is your whole labor participation rate, which means Mm -hmm. eventually, um, and this always gets me in trouble, but eventually we're going to have to solve the immigration issue and Mm -hmm. they're going to have to come up with some solution. Why do you you get in trouble? Well, because because if I'm yeah, writing I'm, on I'm, red I'm, state, I'm, for example, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a rhetorical question, yeah. but, uh, uh, um, no, absolutely. We like how, you know, yes. And they've known this is coming for 30 years as, as had, uh, Michael Latito from Littler on a couple of weeks ago and said, you know, there seemed to be a decent solution back in 2007 with the whole gang of eight thing. Um, there was. But, 
but they it was solved. Yeah, but the you know partisan issues got in the way, and you know I'll be damned. We're gonna yeah, legalize I, lawbreakers and all that stuff. But the reality is, if we don't do something about immigration, there's not gonna be anybody around to change our diapers when we get older. So, right. I, or like, or I mean, we desperately, de- you know, we desperately need to fill a bunch of jobs right now that like this would be a great solution to um right if you were allowed to suggest if you were allowed to suggest such a thing um yeah don't get me talking about immigration because i will be in trouble but i'm i it's got to get solved like it has to get solved it absolutely has to get solved and there are there are good compromise solutions to it the problem is there is zero political i mean you know there's there's no political will to solve it because it's like a good campaign issue. Um, right. On both sides. And, and until, right. On both sides. And until, until it, until it's like not a good campaign issue, it's probably not getting solved. At least not by politicians. Um, right. So it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's that, but yeah, that's, that's frustrating too. Yeah. And by the way, like it would help. I mean, Part of, part of the reason people are so upset at work and and you know is because they're they're overworked and they're and they're being asked to like do two or three different jobs because you can't find anyone to fill those jobs so it also it also just makes work worse um you know for everyone and like you know you know and, and you know when, when you get treated bad you know you know, by, by somebody, you know, you don't, you don't want to complain because it's like, well, at least they showed up to work. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, so we're just thankful you came in and clocked. Right. In. <laughs> right. And well, you know, and again, there used to be like a threshold. I want to say is probably four to six months that, you know, you can only work so much mandatory overtime mm-hmm. that before the workforce rebels and just right. says no more. Um, and I think in a lot of places, we're well beyond that threshold and healthcare has always been that issue. You know, it's either over time, you know, it's it's short staffing. It's been at least for the last 20 years, but it's It's exponentially larger now. And that goes back to the safety issue, because if I'm supposed to have five patients and I'm now doing seven to eight, they're not as safe. My license isn't as safe. And, you know. Whether it's hospitals or or coffee shops, it's you know, got to do what yeah. you can, or at least communicate. And some of these places, um, not the hospitals per se, but the you know the coffee shops, if they're working that short staff, shut them down, not permanently, but you know until you can hire enough people or consolidate the employees among you know. And I mean, and that's happening. I mean, and it happened during the pandemic too. Like if you know, there was there was lots of places that closed just because. They just couldn't safely staff them and couldn't safely run them. Right. You know, right. that is happening, but it's, you know, it's not, um, but, but it, it's not, you know, it, it probably could happen you know, on the margin more, but the problem is you shut down. Like now the people that were showing up don't have a job. Well, no, if, if you're a place in, I don't know anybody at Chipotle's other than the people that makes burritos for me, but um, you know, if you, if you have five Chipotle's in a, general geographic area and you don't have enough to staff all five condense them to four and send the people from the fifth store to the fourth yeah the four other ones spread them out yeah Uh, and i don't think management's thinking 
enough about that stuff. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I mean, I think uh, you may be right. I, I I think they're thinking about it pretty hard. Like I, 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 you know, I feel like with our clients and just a lot of the conversations that I've been a party to over the last, you know, several years dealing with this subject there um, it's just, it's, it's like, it's an unsolvable problem, right? It's, you know, it's like your fear. Um, Cause you still want I, the example you gave is like, this is the simple example, but they're, they're rarely like that simple. It's, right. it's more, no, I know. you know, like, are we going to, we're not going to shut down a plant, you know, we're not going to shut down, you know, we're, so we're going to maybe we'll, run one last shift or we'll turn or we'll run last product on this one line. Right. But now, you know, but everyone's going to be working mandatory overtime. Um, you know, it's like, like and, and like the supply chain, you know, we haven't even really talked about supply chain. How did we go this far and not say the word supply chain, but like, but that, but that's all combined too. Right. It's like, there's this massive demand for stuff, which is why we have all this inflation. There's this massive demand. that's just not being met. Um, so, where everyone is being pushed to the edge. Um, and, uh, but anyway, that's the, that's our, that's our it's, world. It's starting to cool down though. No, and, no, and it is. It is. Winter is coming. Winter is coming. And 100%, according to Bloomberg, and I believe everything Bloomberg writes, 100% certainty that we're going to have a recession. So oh, I, yes. How, like, how couldn't we? I mean, not, like we will have one because like if we're if we're not if we don't have one, they're just going to keep raising interest rates like that. Like right. we will have one. Um, the only way we're not going to have one is if, if, if is if inflation suddenly disappears. Like that's the you know that's the only way. But it, you know, it doesn't appear to be going anywhere but up. So. Right. Yeah. So let me ask you: Have you uh, been keeping track of? And I think Bloomberg does this, but the average wage rates. Are wage increases in CBAs versus um, non-union? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, so, uh, as we are talking about Bloomberg, this. Bloomberg reports on it. and uh, But even just looking at the BLS numbers, um, which are, you know, uh, Bloom, Bloomberg only has like certain contracts. So I think their numbers could be a little, a little skewed just from sample size. But the BLS numbers are, you know, like a population survey. So, and it's not the BLS numbers can't also be a little skewed, but, um, but there's, there's a number of categories in BLS where non-union workers, um, both total wages are higher than union. And then the, the, the pace of acceleration is faster. Uh, and then the Bloomberg report you're talking about, they've now done it twice that, um, that I'm aware of. And both times they showed that non-union wage increases. I think the last one was something like, I think it was maybe like a six point difference, uh, 6% uh, difference between the, the union and non-union. Uh, non-union being higher. Non-union being higher. Right. Uh, and it totally makes sense because, you know, if you're, if you're in a union, con- this, this is, you know, this is going back to like what Gen Zers need to understand about collective bargaining. Um, not only does it take a long time to get a contract, but, but you're also the employer has to sit down and figure out like, what's, what wage rate am I going to be able to pay three years from now? You know, so just think about like three years ago, 
you know, like the world has completely changed and in a way no one could have anticipated. So employers, because of that, need to be like super, super conservative about what they're going to agree to over a three-year period of time. So, you know, the union side of that is, oh, well, you, you know, get it guaranteed because the economy goes into the crapper, you might get zero three years from now. Well, that's true. But if, if what happened last couple of years happens, you know, everybody in the country got a huge raise except for union workers because their wages were already put into place two or three years ago right. when we were in the middle of a pandemic and, and no one was getting wage increases. So, I mean, there were lots of, lots of contracts where the company was going back in, you know, and trying to like, you know, renegotiate to just, we got to raise wages just to attract talent now in this market because everything shifted. So non-union workers, this has been true for a long time. It wasn't really showing up in the numbers as much because, uh, uh, you know, unionized workers tend to congregate in the most expensive you know, cities. And so like the, the, the wage numbers, you know, wouldn't, especially if we're looking nationally, it just skews the numbers in favor of unions. And they always claimed like that was the union advantage. That was, that's not been true for, for 20 years. But what you're seeing now is it's like the non-union advantage has just so far outpaced what unions are getting. Um, and that's what young workers need to look at. Like, you, you know, think about, how much money you're going to earn over the course of your work career. You do not want to be in a, in a bargaining negotiation every three years. Um, well, I, so the last I saw was probably earlier this year, the comparison union versus non-union increases. And I was wondering if you'd seen anything recently, because as we're talking about recession and you've got all these, whether mm -hmm. Starbucks or anybody else unionizing, Typically, if you're going to see high wage increases in a union contract, and there's been a couple outliers out there, but if you're going to see higher wages in a union contract in terms of increases, it's usually a front-loaded contract, and it'll be high up front and then start going down over successive years. The rationale being, as you just said, you don't know what the economy is going to be doing or what you're going to be able to afford. And so I'm curious as to whether any new ones that are being negotiated if we're seeing like year two, year three, year four, whatever, being very minuscule mm -hmm. compared to what a lot of the non-union companies are doing right now. We, we bargain contracts. Um, and that's definitely been sort of a trend is if there is a big increase, it's front loaded and then you'll have low increases, the rest of the contract, um, right. low to no increases. And, and certainly as you're going into bargaining now, the environment is way different than it was if you were going in a year ago, right? Right, so, right. You know, um, everyone's expecting a recession. Everyone's expecting inflation to go down. Uh, well, you know, hoping, like, the, the people that are, you know, so the Fed's wanting a recession to try to get inflation to come down. But, you know, the, so an employer that's sitting at the bargaining table right now is not as worried about inflation and is way worried about the um um, impending the, doom the recession. That's about, yeah. That's about to happen. <laughs> right. So. Yeah. And you've got all the data out there and all the articles stating it's coming. It's coming. Right. So, anyway. Hey, I apologize. I, I, gotta run. I know. I was just looking at the clock. I was going to say, how much time do you have? We've been on about an hour. I could talk to you forever. We should. Uh, uh, yeah. Let's do this again. I like catching up. Okay.
So yeah, me too. Anyway, well, Phil Wilson, Labor Relations Institute, it was great to have you on Labor Relations Radio. And I do want to do this again. Yeah, me too. Thanks, Peter. All right. Thank you, sir. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. That was Phil Wilson with the Labor Relations Institute. And as I mentioned, I always enjoy talking with him because although we may share the same sentiments, our perspectives are sometimes different. In any case, I hope to have him on again. Maybe we'll do a regular thing once a month or so. Um, Anyway, that's an open invite, Phil. In any case, that wraps up another episode of Labor Relations Radio. I'm your host, Peter List. If you want to reach out, you can reach out on Twitter at Workplace Report. That's at Workplace RPT. Uh, Leave a comment under the audio portion of this episode of Labor Relations Radio or give us a call at 1-888-668-6466. That's 888-668-6466. Thanks for listening. Hey, Labor Relations Radio listeners, this is just a quick reminder. If you enjoyed Labor Relations Radio, make sure you share these episodes with your colleagues and make sure you and your colleagues visit laborunionnews.com and subscribe to our News Digest.